Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to the heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. This is the word of the Lord. We are in the last couple of weeks of our Easter sermon series entitled, Jesus the Life, Jesus the Life. And while they get the slides situated up there, we're good, we're good. I will confess to you that I am again today doing my own therapy up here. And in fact, most Sundays I'm doing my own therapy up here, and I, and I won't implicate any other pastors, former pastors, who might be in the room, but it's possible that all of us at some point or another, as we preach, are doing our own therapy up here. Pastors in the room, amen? Yes, there are a few. <laughs> um, you need to know that when I get up here and preach, I am not preaching at you. I do not claim to have mastered some of these concepts such that I can come before you as the person who has mastered these concepts and then preach at you as a person who has mastered these concepts. That's, that's not what I do. This is, this is my church. I mean, I have for all intents and purposes been raised here. I understand myself to be a, a part of the congregation. Now, I do uh, enjoy this role and I and I love being able to do what I do to study and prepare for a sermon, which includes all of the, the, the books and all that kind of stuff, but it's also talking with folks. Every single week, I am talking with one of my mentors, sometimes multiple mentors, to try to figure out what it is that I'm going to say to you. But again, it's not as one who has it figured out. It is one it is as one who is called to make myself available on a regular basis, on a weekly basis, so that God can do something in me that I can't do for myself. So that God can do something in and through me as I make myself available that only God can do. And I say all of this because I want you to know that what Christ calls us to at the end of this passage of Scripture today is not only super difficult This unity thing, this unity across lines and with all believers, I'm not even sure it makes good sense. I mean, because if you looked up and seen some of the folks that we're supposed to be unified with, good Lord. And yet, 
Jesus prays for us. Now, before we go much farther, I want you to let that sink in. Jesus prays for us. Whoa. In fact, today, we get to sort of slip up and overhear a prayer that is prayed for us. Which made me think of one of my favorite websites, Overheard in New York City. Is anybody else familiar with Overheard in New York City? It's a it's Twitter feed, it's, a, it's an Instagram feed, and it's just people who post anonymously what other anonymous folks have said that they have overheard said, and it's fantastic. I love it. Like, like here's one. Mom to a four-year-old kid walking in Square Park. Joshua, your sense of urgency is non-existent right now. Are you even a New Yorker? <laughs> Lawyer, what gear were you in at the time of the moment of your impact? <laughs> to which she replied, well, leggings and Nikes. Yeah. I don't have health insurance, but I have Apple Care. <laughs> Can you know, make a case that both of those are important. I saw a man sitting in Starbucks, no phone, no iPad, no laptop, just sitting there drinking coffee like a psychopath. And I wonder if there's anybody who can identify with this one. Woman, after spilling coffee on herself, how am I supposed to hold my phone, my coffee, and the weight of the world all in one hand? <laughs> we get to slip up and overhear someone praying for us. I will say, uh, and I try to remember every time, when I dedicate a baby, I, I always ask the question, you know this, right? Will you, parent, be caught praying? Is it possible that at some point you'll be caught praying for this child? And I always try to, to follow that up with uh, words of testimony, like, because I have walked up and heard my name offered up in prayer before, and it's a thing. It, it's a good thing. It's an important thing. When you hear your name offered up in prayer, it helps you. It helps you. And today we get that. We get, and it's not just anybody doing the praying today. I mean, this, this, this prayer is recorded and kept for us so that we could have this deep sensation that this Jesus character is actually praying for us. Praying for us. Now, here is the historical context. This is, we are in that part of the story of Christ where uh, he has just washed the disciples' feet. They are probably in or at least near this room where they have shared this last supper. Uh, Nicole, it's feeding back on me up here a little bit. I'm, I'm, it could be me. So they are uh, about to be in the thick of Passion Week. It's about to get really dark. It's about to get really ugly. That's where they are in terms of the historical context. But let's talk about the literary context. Jesus is going to pray some things that give you a sense of one of two things. Either Jesus knows all that's about to happen, or someone has come back after the fact and, and added to this prayer such that we could make some sense of what it is that Jesus prays, believing that we have seen all that Christ accomplished in the death, the resurrection, and the ascension. By the way, this past Thursday was Ascension Day. So we're in that last Sunday of the Easter season before Pentecost hits next week. 
And there is some sense that this letter, this prayer was recorded for all of the people who would then be in what we would call the Johannine church, the Johannine church, some 50, 60, maybe even 90 years after the fact, but already experiencing some heartache, some, some struggle, some trial. So this letter, this prayer is recorded for those people. It's recorded for those people, and then it is played, let's say, after everything had taken place so that the prayer for the disciples could be understood as being for the early church, but also for us, for us. And it's because we need prayers like this. We need to know that Jesus has our back in prayer because times are still difficult, times are tough. It is hard to do the Christian thing. It is hard to do the Christian thing, y'all. To, to be Christian in this world is to be odd in this world. And sometimes it's hard to do the Christian thing in Christian circles. And that's when it's good to know that Jesus is praying that we'll be okay. Now, Jesus has finished a long speech to the disciples, trying to prepare them for all that's coming up, and he ends with this word, in this world you will face persecution, but take courage, he says, I have conquered the world. John 17, 1, this is stuff that Tamar read, and after Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. Now, this word glory, let, let's, let's make sure that we're all on the same page as we read because this word's going to come up. You're going to hear me read it. We're going to talk about it. You see it on the screen. To glory here, to glorify is to make evident, to make visible, to make known, to make known. Maybe as I go back and read this again, have in your head that this, this glorification here is, is God making as Jesus making the Father known and the Father making Jesus known. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you, make you known. Since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all, to all people, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Now, this is important. And this is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now, eternal life here is not innumerable days. That is, is said somewhere else in Scripture, but here, that is, this is not innumerable days. We are trying to force fit our sense of chronological time into this statement, when in actuality, here's what's being said here. There is a boundlessness to life with God. There is a boundlessness to finding one's place in the heart of God, and there is a boundlessness to the place that we have in the heart of God that is now made possible by this Jesus who is in the flesh the incarnation of God. Now, I'm just going to read another whole chunk of it here. This is Jesus praying for us. He says, I made you known on earth. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. So now, Father... Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, 
and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word, you, you should start to feel like Jesus is praying for you, me, us, somewhere here. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave to me, I have given to them, and they have received them, and know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf. I'm not asking on behalf of the world, and the world here is not to be understood as the created environment. The world is that part of the world, the created environment, that is angled against Christ, that is angled against the things of God, angled against the people of God. So the world here is not all of the world, it's just that piece of the world that is angled against Christianity. I'm not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those you gave me because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified, made known in them. And then he says this, and now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me. And here it comes, you ready? So that they may be one as we are one. Oh. So how, just, just how one, how unified are we to be? Jesus tells us here, he dreams and prays for us to be one in the same way that Jesus understands himself to be one with God the Father. No biggie. In other words, the people in the room who share this label with you of the body of Christ, the other body parts here to the body of Christ, it is the dream of God that we would be close enough, that the way that we would understand our closeness and our oneness and our unity would be against the backdrop of how it is that God understands unity with God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. There is something about the internal unity of God that tells us about how we are to be unified with one another and maybe even with other traditions of faith. I mean, I love this church. Have grown up here. I know so many of the stories. I know where the landmines are. <laughs> I know where all the bodies are buried. Like, I, I love this place. Scripture telling me that I need to be close to you is not a high hurdle for me. Scripture telling me and us that we are to be tight and one with all of the others out there, that's when it becomes a problem for me. So, John, are you not Christian enough? Apparently not. Still working at it. Because, y'all, I don't like the way other folks do faith. Is that okay to say? I find the other ways that folks do faith at times to be contrary to what I believe as it has to do with how faith is to be done. In fact, can I ask us a very difficult question here? If this is the prayer of Christ for the people of God, for let's say all of Christianity, everywhere, but let's just say 2023. If this is the prayer of Christ, has that prayer been answered?
I mean, if this is the prayer of Christ, that they may be one, Father, as we are one, Father, then has, is Jesus not very good at praying? I mean, am I the only one that sees some bitter division out there? Like, what in the world is going on here? I mean, some of the most bitter divisions you see out there are church divisions. Like, is, is this not happening out there? Is Jesus still praying? Like, what's going on? There are, there are whole systems that believe that the best way forward is something that's going to feel like divorce. And that's, that's amongst Christian folks, right? And you know what? Maybe it is. But things have gotten pretty bad out there in terms of the way that we understand our relationships and associations with other folks who are wearing the labels and the t-shirts that say Christian on them. Jesus, you need to pray harder? We need to remember that this kind of uh, infighting, let's say, we need to remember this isn't new. And it's part of the reason that this prayer is recorded the way that it is. When there were still people walking the streets who had known Jesus face to face, the Christian community was already arguing, drawing up sides, finding themselves on opposite sides of the same issues. They argued over hand-washing. They argued over who could share the table and the meal. They argued over who represented the real church. They argued over whether you were really a Christian if you didn't exhibit certain spiritual gifts. It has been the case since day one. So we may wonder, with all of this division, with all of this bitter division, with all of this enmity in the past and in the present, Jesus, what gives? What's going on? I do think it's a good time for us to revisit that there's a difference between unity and uniformity. Can we do that for a minute? Let's, let's revisit what it is that Jesus is, is saying here when he says one. And, and I guess Jesus gives us the opportunity here to think about how it is that God would be designed or how we understand God to be knit together, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Do we believe that there is a unity there? If you believe that there's a unity in Father, Son, and Spirit, could you say amen? Y'all can do better than that. The new DS is here, y'all. Good grief. <laughs> Father, Son, and Spirit, they, they're unified. We, we have different metaphors we use to be able to understand how it is that God, Father, Son, and Spirit is unified. H how, about, how about the dance, right? I like, I should have done it again. I like putting this image up in front of you of God, of Father, Son, and Spirit, but it's actually three people dancing in a circle dance. But when they dance so quickly, it's so dynamic and it's so mutual, right? They dance so quickly that it's hard to distinguish one part from the other. They are not the same. It is not uniformity that we are looking at there, but it is unity, right? Key, 
key to our understanding of God is this concept of unity. The unity of Father, Son, and Spirit. So though we draw distinctions between God the Son and God the Father, as Jesus does throughout the book of John, we don't understand that to be disunity, distinction, but not disunity. So when Jesus says that they may be one as we are one, is it possible, is it possible that within this sense of unity or oneness that there can be differences and distinctions but also the need to pray for and act on the possibility of unity. So John, do you need to rethink how you think and feel about people who don't do faith the way that you think it ought to be done? Yes, yes I do. (laughs) I need to rethink my posture. I need to rethink my whole project of faith as it has to do with the other that I believe to be dangerous. It's not that I am not supposed to see a distinction. I I think that seeing a distinction is fine. It's what I do with what I perceive to be the distinction. It's what I do with it. Now, in order for this last part of the sermon to come home, and I mean to go home with you, with me, I kind of need you to now consider those who do faith or think or believe differently, and not just kind of differently, but differently enough that you, you think they might be dangerous, and you might be right. I need you to have them in mind as we work through this last part. But I do need to go back and ask this question again. You think Jesus is still praying for us? Man, I do. I think Jesus is still praying that folks who see things differently might still be unified. Even if they continue to see things differently, might still be unified. One one of my fondest memories happened in this room. Was anybody here the first time Fairview Missionary Baptist came over? Man, that that was a fun night. And that giant choir got up and they sang and they sang. And I think there was a beautiful unity because we recognized that there was also a distinction. We weren't all the same, and that was a good thing, right? That was a good thing. And we kept that going, and Dr. Reed and I are talking about rekindling that again. We kept that going until one day, I don't know if you remember this, but we were over there. We were over there. And we were still gathered and unified, but still distinctly different. And even different as it had to do with how we understood communion and who could serve it. When they came here and we served communion, we had women serving communion. Because, yeah. But that's not their tradition. But we went over there and had communion. He had women serving communion to us. And I don't know if we knew in the moment how big a deal that was, but it was a big deal. So big. 
that Dr. Reed said, that made me nervous. Now, was it because someone was going to spill it? I don't think so. I think it was because, man, this is not the way we've ever done it before. There was a unity there that was beautiful because it wasn't uniformity. Everybody catch that? I think unity is more beautiful than uniformity. Am I alone? Anybody else? I think uniformity <laughs> can be like chiseling a block of granite. You can like force it, but I don't know that it's beautiful. Unity. Especially when it's unity between folks who would otherwise be separated and be different. Now that's where we start to get to kingdom of peace sort of language. But that's a tall task. And we're going to need Jesus to keep praying for us. Amen? <laughs> so if we believe that Jesus is still praying for us, do we trust those prayers? Have we recently enough placed the future of our church and our larger church, capital C, back into the hands of God and the Christ who is still praying for us? And if you haven't yet placed this church and not just our denomination, but the entire church with the giant capital C back in the hands of God, we probably should do that pretty soon. And, and please know, that doesn't mean that we sit around and do nothing. Next week, Pentecost Sunday, we're going to talk about the importance of waiting on God for God to do what only God could do. But we, in the practice of our faith, are always making preparations for God to do what God can do. We're always making preparations to be ready for it. We prepare and make ready for God to do what only God can do. And we could really use your help. Now, who's we and what help are you talking about? Well, I mean a whole lot. When I say we could use your help, I, I kind of mean I need you to access Kaylee so that Kaylee can get you on the host team so that you can help us make preparations for folks who are going to be here who perhaps aren't here today. But we, the global church, could really use your help too because peace is enacted locally before it's enacted globally. The, uh, listen, I know I'm asking a lot, but I'm going to ask it anyway. I'm going to ask that you and I would be slower to make enemies out of the people who don't believe like us. Slower. I guess what I'm saying is, I think a, a, a peace movement is possible. I think a peace movement is possible. But I think it's possible only if the people of peace are peaceful. <laughs> Does that make sense? I mean, we, we, we are not going to have peace between the different colliding elements of Christianity if you aren't nice to your fundamentalist friend. Now, I know he makes it difficult. I know she can be a pain. I know. I mean, and I will agree with you that there are times when it feels like that he or she hold opinions that are actually damaging to other people. And you know what? A person of peace doesn't opt out of that difficult situation. A person of peace, P, 
peacefully enters into that situation. Like, like if you think somebody, by the way that they are exercising their faith and the way they're gripping their beliefs, is about to do damage to somebody that's already on the margins, then step in. <laughs> I, I, I'm not calling you to do nothing in that situation. I'm not, I don't think God wants me to do nothing in that situation. I think I have to step in. But stepping in, how I go about it makes all the difference. How do you disagree with the folks who are wrong in your life? I mean, how do you disagree? Christianly, we say that a lot around here. Is it possible to disagree Christianly with the people who hold dangerous points of view? It is, and I'm not promising it will work out, but it is incumbent upon us who allegedly are aching for peace to be, on Mondays, persons of peace. Read a couple of really good scholars this week. Linda Lee Clater said this this week, perhaps the vision toward which we strive is not one of total agreement, but of the ability to join in our disparate ways in the common dance of faith. It is just possible that this is what Christian unity looks like, a body, as Paul said, with many parts, a dance with many dancers, a song with many voices. The challenge to us in response to all this variety is to say yes. Yes, those other people really are Christians too. Yes, there is a pain in all this diversity, but there is also possibility. Yes, there is struggle, but there is also glory. Do we find all this movement, all this action disorienting? Does our anxiety about conflict lure us into wishing for something less dramatic? This Christian community of ours can be wild and frustrating and crazy, but we place our trust in that prayer of Jesus. The disciples Jesus loved and the community he loves now lived and still live enveloped, enveloped by that prayer. Have you ever snuck up to hear somebody praying for you? Have you ever snuck up to hear Jesus praying for you, for me, for us? Another scholar says this, Gail O'Day. It is critical that the church remind itself that it is the recipient of the prayer of Jesus. Jesus, the only son who is close to the Father's heart, prays that God will be present in the life and mission of the faith community Jesus has entrusted the church to God's protective care and loving kindness. It is interesting to ponder how the Christian community's self-definition would be changed if it took as its beginning point, we are a community for whom Jesus prays. Ugh. Listen, I'm not saying that we as a local body would do anything less. Maybe we would do more if we were to drink deeply of this point. We are a community for whom Jesus prays. In fact, I'm not saying that we should do less in the areas that are, those topics of conversations that are, conversation that are difficult and even contentious. I am not saying if we drink deeply of this that we'll do less. Maybe we'd even do more, but we would do it characteristically. Make sense? Y'all, I like to ask you this every once in a while. 
What if what I'm saying today is true? <laughs> what if we are a community? And, and, and let's go ahead and, and believe that about all layers of community. What if we are a community? Oklahoma City First Church, 4400 Northwest Expressway. What if Jesus is praying for us right now? What if, what if, what if Jesus is praying for the district? What if that's true? Do, do you have any faith in the prayers of Jesus? It's okay to say amen there if you do. Okay, four of you do, good. What if Jesus is praying for our larger movement? What if Jesus is praying for all of Christendom. What if Jesus is praying for everybody? Does that mean there won't be changes? Nope. Who knows? Maybe in the enacted and embodied prayers of Christ for Christ's people, for the body of Christ, maybe that means that there will be changes. Maybe it means there will be changes. But it'll be changes toward the kingdom of peace, right? Want to be changes toward peace in our time? What if it's true? What, what if it's true that the Christ who prays for us as a body is the same Christ who invites us to the table to experience the kind of love, and I think this is the prayer of Christ, to experience the kind of love that would then become the source and the resource for the kind of love that then we would perpetrate on all the other people out there regardless of their labels. What if it's true that somehow in the, in the taking of communion and the breaking of the bread and the sips from the cup, what if it's true that somehow we are granted the capacity to see what we otherwise wouldn't have seen, to hear the whispering voice that we otherwise would not have heard. What if it's possible to see and spot Jesus and to recognize and glory in and lean into the relationship that is offered to us because Christ always makes the first move? What if it's possible in this moment to receive that deep confidence that we are loved first and to receive it so deeply that we could hear not only and not be surprised by the fact that Jesus would still be praying for us, but then to move out beyond this place, armed with the confidence that would allow us to love the other. Because that may be what it takes. Do you have the confidence <laughs> to love your enemies' opposites? And irritants. Jesus is praying that you will. Have everything you need, that we will have everything we need to love our enemies, our opposites, and our irritants. That we would be one as Jesus and the Father are one. If you were helping us today, please come and set this table. Heavenly Father, bless these elements. Father, we need them. If we are to be the people that you are praying for us to be, that Jesus is praying for us to be, then we need 
what comes with this meal. We prayed, God, that you would bless the bread and the cup, and that somehow with these resources, you would shape us to be the kinds of folks who can love indiscriminately, who can love those who are difficult to love, who can love those who believe differently than we do, the folks who don't look like us, the folks who don't like us. Would you, with the bread and the cup, shape us to have the capacity, the capacity to love as we have been loved? In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and exit your pew to the left and to come forward to receive these gifts of bread and cup. Now, all are invited, but none are compelled. All are invited, though. Are you sure I qualify to come to this table? Well, here's, here's what you need. You need to know. You need to know that you need this grace. And if you understand yourself to be in need of this grace as your pastor understands himself, then yes, you are welcome. You don't know what I did this morning. I don't need to know. If you know what it is, if you know that you need this grace, then this is the right place for you. So I'll ask you to stand to your feet and come forward with your hands cupped. And as you approach someone holding a plate of bread, that person will place a piece of bread into your hands and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Now take that piece of bread, don't eat it just yet, but dip it into the cup. When you do, that person holding the cup will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you, and then take and eat, and then find a place to pray if you would. If you come to one of these side padded altars, we will assume that you are there for a prayer for healing, and an elder will come and pray for you, anoint you with oil. Your wound may be physical, but it might be mental, emotional, spiritual, familial, relational, Whatever the wound, we will pray for you and anoint you with oil for healing. You may want to come to one of these benches up front. Now, these are mourner's benches, kneeling benches, and, and we won't necessarily know why you're here, and we won't assume, but at some point, somebody, probably me, will come by and touch you on the back, the neck, the shoulder, the head, to let you know that you're not alone because you're not. Or you can circle right back around and pray at your seats. God hears those prayers as well promise God hears those prayers as well. You may want to make a special trip down here to dip your hands into this bowl of water that is meant to remind you of the moment of your baptism. If you need that reminder that you're a part of this movement, this burgeoning kingdom of peace, then this is a good place to be reminded that you've been chosen and welcomed and initiated into the movement. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread. He blessed it. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of it, including today, remember me. Remember the story. Same way later he took the cup and he held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink of it, remember me. That would include today. Now, all across the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet, exit your pews to the left, and come forward with your hands cupped to receive these gifts of God meant to resource the people of God.